automatic timer up. Dali Ali slips it through. Mika Smola has scored! Hello there. Welcome to the Through the Thirds podcast with me, Alistair Feezy. Hi guys, welcome to Through the Thirds podcast. Today we have Matt Brewer from Seattle United. I've actually known Matt for around 10 years now. We went to university together and then kept in contact ever since and became real good friends. So Matt, if you want to just introduce yourself. Hey Ali, thanks for having me. Good to be on. I think it's uh, been a really good intro to the podcast. I've really enjoyed the first couple. Um, yeah, my name is Matt Brewer. Um, I work out in Seattle, Washington, um, and I work for a club called Seattle United. Um, and my role is I'm a pre-academy director for Seattle United and the Seattle Sounders Academy. Great. Um, so just kind of give us a bit of background about you, what kind of you know, licenses you have, what experience you've had, how long you've been in the US? Uh, yeah, I started coaching when I was like 15 years old, um, about 30 minutes away from where you actually live in Cornwall. Um, and I started doing some kind of uh, part-time coaching on the weekends, which led to teaching in schools, after-school clubs, development centres. And then, like you mentioned, I then went to university uh, with you and we got a degree in football coaching um, and then during that time I was working in kind of a couple of academies doing camps and play programs evening and a little bit of teamwork um, and during the time at university and that I was coming up to America working on different camps and different programs around the country and then in 2015 I moved to Seattle and I've had a number of different roles here working at different clubs a coach, director, technical director, things like that. Um, and then I've been at Seattle United for just over a year now and in this role in the last couple of months. Yeah, you went down the um, UK Elite route, right? Yeah, with UK Elite. Um, they're called Steel Soccer now. I worked with them for a few years. I mean, I was still involved with them last year. Um, yeah, I came out and did a number of different tours and states with them, different visas. And then I came out with them to Seattle where they offered me a role here. So I was with UK League till about 2016. Um, so they were a good four or five years of my kind of time in America. Um, but I was you know, really fortunate to be able to come out with them and um, get good opportunities through them. Yeah, you certainly get your hours in, didn't you? I definitely got the hours in. Right. <laughs> Especially in the car. Definitely in the northwest. Um, so what are your focuses right now within... Your current role as you said, program director, was it? Or pre academy? Uh, I'm a pre academy director. So, what I do right now is, is um, I'm kind of employed for two clubs. Um, I work for Seattle United, um, and they're a partner club with Sanders Academy. Um, and I oversee the age group there from the U8 to U11s. Um, our partner club, uh, Seattle United, kind of help develop a lot of players for the academy. We have, we're one of the larger clubs that send the most players. We have a lot of players time full time in their academy and do trips and tours. So my kind of aim is that I oversee that age group there, um, help them with curriculum, coaches, admin, overseeing the age group. So I do that two nights a week. 
And then the other two to three nights a week, I'm working at the academy um, for the founders. I work with the 12 to 14s um, and we train and then we do events on the weekends or certain travel tournaments. Um, and I do some scouting for them as well. So that's kind of where my role is um, for them. My, my focus right now is kind of similar to everyone else with the COVID and the situation is I'm working heavily just with Seattle United at the moment, giving out a lot of content to the club, um, to the families. We're doing presentations, videos, fun quizzes, um, fitness resources. So very similar to what you're seeing on the internet from other clubs and kind of had you in the previous podcast, just trying to find ways to keep players active and in the game right now. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? Trying to find everything and something that's different as well and unique than what other people are doing. I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, people are doing that's similar, which I think is good. I think everyone's in the same boat. So we're just trying to help people kind of be in touch with the ball. We're doing a couple of different things with the parents. You know, we're doing fitness classes for them and articles. And we're making it fun for the kids as well. So we're sending out random trivia quizzes and soccer quizzes. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time, but I think everyone will come out. I think the big positive of it will be is, when we eventually go back to training, I think there might be a shift in clubs towards more individual players and individual training, just in terms of sending out resources, sending out club homework, because now we've got a time to really focus on the individual and what they can do in their own environment, what they can do to improve at home, you know, what limited resources they have. So yeah, I think when we hopefully get back, I think a lot of clubs, including myself, will start looking at how we can keep pushing this weekly homework, weekly video, weekly time spent to improve ourselves. Oh, massive. Yeah, yeah no, I feel, that, I feel the same because somewhat of me feel, is feeling like, oh, how, how, how have we done this before? Like all this, you know. And I think over here, they kind of, especially in the younger ages, they focus too much on the team. That's my personal thoughts on it. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I know you talked on the last couple of podcasts on kind of culture and things like that. I think... America does have a good culture in soccer. It's just not as big as other countries or continents. Yeah. But I think, like you say, with this, it's going to help grow because now people are at home and they're having to fill their time and they're probably, they could sit at home all day, but those who really want to make it or play soccer are going out and doing the extra work. So, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, people think about, oh, I play for this club, I play for this team, I train, but now it's all about the individual. And even though you're in the club, you know, you might be at that club for five, six years, but you might not be on that same team. So it's really important time now to go outside, play, train, watch videos, learn about the game, nutrition side, reading articles. Um, yeah, like you say, just to, to focus on themselves a bit more, which is something not many clubs or coaches or people probably do, even players. Yeah, fantastic. Right, um, obviously you said you listened to the last couple of podcasts and they were from two, Paul and Wes, who are actually based in California. And you're based up in Seattle. So kind of what, give us a bit of information on what, what's soccer like in the Pacific Northwest? What, you know, kind of programs you have up there? Do you have like a player development program, PDP? Is there ODP? Kind of what, um, what kind of platforms, programs do you have up there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, we're a little bit different in terms of we are all the way up in the northwest in the corner um we're quite uh, a large state in terms of travel 
you know, and we have a big city in Seattle, but then it's quite a this area. But yeah, we have uh, mainly U.S. youth. So how uh, our organization works is we have Washington Youth Soccer, um, and they work by U.S. Youth Organization. So they run all the recreation in the state, um, and then they run the select leagues. So there's a lot of clubs out there that give you recreation and select. Um, and then we have what we call Premier, um, which is called the Regional Club League. Um, and there's about 20 to 25 full-time clubs there. Um, and each club is given kind of a territory or an area in the state. Um, so for example, Seattle United has the whole area of Seattle. Um, so we're the only Premier club in the Seattle area. Um, so there's other soccer clubs around and there's other clubs in our area and they're all playing in the select level. Um, but then the idea is that you have one main premier club to try and send kind of the best players to that club or so they can compete and there's kind of one main option. So there we have the regional club league for premier, which is where you play your year round league, state cup, things like that. Um, and then we have five or six main clubs in Washington and in the premier um, and their top teams now play in the ECNL. Um, and then we have uh, three clubs who are in the DA. Uh, one is Seattle Sounders, uh, the other is Crossfire, so they're the two full-time DA clubs, and then we have uh, the Rain Academy as well, which is on the Gale side there in the DA. Um, so basically, yep, we have Select all the way through to Premier, ECNL, DA on one side. Uh, we also have US Club here. I know US Club are part of ECNL, but the US Club is separate, and that's another Select League we have. Um, and we have OPD as well, so we have the Washington State. We have it divided by two states because we have a lot of mountain area and outside which splits kind of Washington. So we have um, Eastern Washington and Western Washington. Right, that's, yeah, that's very interesting because so basically select soccer is club soccer down here or is that ha how I understand it? Um, yeah, kind of. So we have, so for example, Seattle United has premier and select teams. Right. Um, so select is, you know, your lower level, it's above recreation. You know, you still get the same kind of options. You get a fall league, you get a spring league, you get a state cup. Um, but the aim is, you know, there's so many soccer clubs in Washington like there is everywhere. Um, so, like I said, you'll be in Seattle and there could be seven, eight, nine soccer clubs. Um, so you can play for whichever club you want. But if you want to kind of play at the highest level, which is the ECNL or Premier, then you would go to that Premier club there. Um, so, you know, our Premier clubs, you know, we have, about 120, 130 teams in our club, uh, 60, 70 of them are Premier. Um, and they play at different levels. So we have divisions kind of one, two, three in the Premier and you have ECNL as well. But yeah, the idea is to kind of kind of categorize it. So if you're in an area and you want to play for a, a Premier club, you're not kind of being swayed by other clubs who are selling this brand or making it difficult. It's, if you live in this area and you want to play a good level, which is ECNL, then you go to this club. Like I said, we only have kind of five or six clubs in Washington State that have ECNL. Um, so they kind of play each other in their ECNL league, which is the Northwest Conference. Um, so then you're kind of sending the players to those clubs as well, is how it works. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I mean, it seems it seems logic, logic logical, sorry. Um, yeah, um, over here, there's so many clubs and it's just everyone's fighting for each other. With um, similar to kind of our DA, um, uh, we only have a couple, two teams there, two clubs that run the full-time DAs because we're up in the northwest is as Washington State, and then you have Oregon and then California. So there's no real 
You know, we can go to Vancouver for the tournament or, you know, play against the Whitecaps, but we don't have a lot of competition outside of our state. So, for example, in California, I know you're divided in north-south, but if you look at the East Coast, for example, they have travel soccer in the summer where you can travel anywhere between the six to eight, ten states on the East Coast um, to play tournaments. We don't have that. So we try to divide it where, you know, it's competitive, you're, you're playing different clubs and different players, but you're not traveling too much. I mean, we still travel two to four hours um, to certain games, depending on where that club is. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to work out the way. So we try and do, well, the state wants to try and do something where we're, we have a, a pathway um, from recreation all the way to the professional or the, you know, elite game. So that would be through to the DA, through to the national team, through to OPD, into regionals, or through to ECNL and then college. Yeah, I mean, well, it makes it easier for, I guess, the youth coaches from Seattle, from, um, you know, around Rain Academy, as you said, just to go and look at one kind of club within Seattle rather than bouncing around everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have, you know, if you look at the Crossfire and Sounders, the A-teams, they do a lot of travelling to California and things like that. But yeah, exactly. If, you know, you look at certain age groups and you want to find their top players. I mean, they don't have every player, but you can find a strong majority of them um, at those two clubs, for example. So um, I think it's, uh, personally, I think it's a really good setup. I think it's, um, you know, like everything, it's not perfect or the right way but I think when you're looking at soccer coaching and club coaching and just the sport in general and your own environment um one of our one of our bosses said this about our club it's you know you have to do what works for you you know this not might be the right way it might not be the perfect way it might be wrong to other people but for us it works for us and it's what we believe in and like I said I believe we have a really good setup here where you have a pathway to each level, you know, you speak to a parent and they're like, hey, I'm, I have a really good soccer player and I want to play this. It's okay, well, you go to this club and you do this halfway. It's very clear. Um, you know, obviously there's people who try and sell things or, you know, they have different branding and stuff like it is everywhere. But, um, you know, I think it works for us and it works for our geographical area. Yeah, it's very clear, understanding. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so you're the pre-academy director for Sounders. And Seattle United, kind of what? Um, how is your role linked with the Sounders? Kind of what I touched on earlier is we we have a lot of partner clubs at the academy. Um, we have four, three or four in Washington, and we have two or three kind of outside of um, the state as well. So we have some in California, we have one in North Carolina. Um, but the idea is that these partner clubs we help give. Um, a lot of resources, you know, and support the club and create a relationship. So if clubs want admin help, board help, you know, curricular, um, kind of promotional admin help like that. So my role is in Seattle United, like I said, because we send a lot of players or we have a lot of players from our club go to the uh, academy. Um, we oversee the 8 to 11s um, and the 8 to 11s, 8 to 9 is called the Junior Sounders. And the aim is to try and create um, a similar environment and what we expect to see at the academy. So we do a lot of similar curriculum, a lot of similar methodology. Um, we use a lot of terminology and style of play. And we simplify it for the players. And we have the kind of expectations and the demands that we would want to see in the academy. Um, 
our academy from U12 to U14 is part-time similar to what we said about having to travel and things like that because we have so many clubs here um we have players train with us twice a week so they can stay with their parent club the other two to three times a week and still play games on the weekend so how my kind of role is linked is i oversee that age group i try and create the environment that is similar to the academy so when players are ready um, and they join into a training session if it's a trial or if they come on a block training or they're invited in uh, on a full-time basis or we have nine week phases once they come in it's not necessarily new experience for them um, it will be different but they kind of understand the terminology the expectations the style of play um, that's how kind of my role is is because i oversee the age group i coach for them and i scout for them it's trying to build the grad uh, build the bridge sorry highlight certain players that we think you know in the next one to two years they might be what we're looking for um, and help kind of prepare them for that. Brilliant. That sounds quite fun. Um, so do you create kind of annual plans or for that or do you kind of just stick to the concepts of style of play and terminology? Uh, yeah, we have a periodization plan. So we will periodize the whole season kind of tournaments they'll go into, the games, um how many times they train and then we'll have you know our periodization in terms of our curriculum you know our style of play so everyone will be doing the same activities the same sessions um all the way from our kind of a teams down to our select teams um we do we send the same stuff out and oversee some of the select teams as well because even if you're in a select team at u8 u9 that doesn't mean you know you might not be a good player or grow to become a strong player so you're not there yet so we still give them the same sessions and understanding so if they do move up they identify that so yeah we we send out the periodization plan and coaches follow the same thing and we'll have technical principles we want to work on you know creating and using space you know playing in gaps of line perhaps the finishing and then we'll have the tactical um input as well kind of how we create numerical superiority in the back, how we play forward, how we unbalance the opposition and the goals we try to score. So the idea is is that all of our teams are playing a similar style. Uh, we don't have a set way at Seattle United. We just have our principles um, of width, uh, transition and numerical advantage. But the idea is, is when you go to a game of the U8, U11s and then the U12s and above in Seattle United, you're seeing similar Happen similar trends, and then, like I said, when they go from the U8 to U11 age group and they're invited into the academy, they're still understanding and seeing same principles, same style of play. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the most important thing I feel. You're seeing the style of play principles align with um, Sounders, which I think seems the kind of the right setup that you're doing over there. Do you feel? Um, do you feel academies back at home could follow this? Or do you, as I, sometimes I think we're putting kids in a professional academy too young. Again, I think it goes back to what I said earlier on. It works for us from where we are. Yeah. Um, you know, if you talk about academies in the UK or, you know, even if you go into the East Coast, for example, and you look at, the MLS teams there, you know, they have full-time academies, you know, Galaxy and that have full-time academies. Um, I don't think having players 
sign at a young age full time is a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, if, if you have the opportunity and the facilities and the pathway and they can bring you in, then I don't see why not. Um, again, as long as the clubs have a clear pathway, a clear principle, then you're looking at things like psychological aspects. You know, what happens if a player gets cut? What happens if a player gets dropped? For us, you, you know, you come into a phase which is nine to ten weeks. You train for those ten weeks, and then we evaluate you and either invite you back or rotate you back to your club. And if you're rotated back to your club, that means you train with your club full time, and we'll come and watch you in your games. We'll get your reports, and then you know, we want to bring you back in again. And sometimes we do that because players aren't ready. Um, sometimes we do that to challenge the players and see how they react, you know, see what mentality they have. Do they take it on the chin? Do they go, okay, I'm going to work harder? Or do they kind of shy away? But again, I think it, it works for us from the environment we have and the academy we have and the, the direction we want to go in. Um, you know, I think the risk of if you do something like that in areas where there's a lot of clubs, you do it part-time, you might lose players because players might be like, well, I can go play full-time at this academy compared to twice a week with you. Um, so yeah, I think of, like anything, if you're in an area, an environment which works for you and it has a clear pathway and you can see that you're going to develop and enjoy, then if that's in recreation, select or academy. Um, but like I said, I think you've got to do something as a club that, are your values and it works for you. You're not trying to copy or create other things because it looks good because it might end up not having the correct outcome. Yeah, yeah. And I feel this links into culture and it seems like you have a great culture up there. How important is that? Yeah, again, it's massive. And I think we do have a competitive soccer state. We have a huge sporting state in Washington. You know, we have the Seahawks, we have the Mariners, we're getting... Um, ice hockey in the next couple of years um so people love sport and like i said it's our soccer culture in washington may not be what people want it to be it may not be what the country wants it and it may not be what europe's like but we do have a good culture where kids love the game they love to play they love to train you know we have a culture at our club and our founders and we you know believe in it and we try and create a competitive environment. We try to create an environment which we develop players and help them make a love of the game. You know, our mission statement for Seattle United is can we create lifelong love for the game? Um, and that's the culture that we go by. You know, our founders' um, principles, we believe in humility, we believe in community, and we believe in ambition. So, yeah, our culture is we are big on it, um, but we're big on things that matter to us. And I think it, the style of plays our club have and our culture that our clubs have both of them match Seattle and they match Washington so we're trying to you know align both of them we're not play you know we're quite a high pressing team at the Sounders if you watch the MLS we see academy teams you know we press from the front we're difficult to play against we like to play in the rain we like to have the ball you know we like to work hard um, that replicates Washington as it owns Seattle is a huge business state uh, city as well it's a huge area where people come to create businesses and work hard. So yeah, again, I think we have a great culture here. It may not be what people want it to be, what they expect it to be, but you know, in both clubs, um, I think we have a, a great environment for players to come and get a love of the game. Yeah, I love the way how you mentioned about the city and surrounding. I'm just watching Sutherland till I die and it's so, um, you know, it's based upon the, the working culture around the, 
around the club, around the, with the fans, and that's what they're expecting, just hard-working players. That's, yeah, that's a brilliant point there. Um, so just to move on, if I was a, kind of a player and I want to join the academy, how would I kind of become a, take the next step to becoming a Sounders player? Oh, yeah, a good question because, you know, we do have our partner clubs, but you, you don't have to be in a partner club, obviously, to join the academy. So, you know, if you want to join our academy, what we would do is, is we have um, applications. So, you know, you can apply for the academy. We have scouts. So we go out. We watch a lot of games. We watch a lot of the big clubs play each other, a lot of events. We go to tournaments. You know, we have a database of players in the state who we, you know, watch or we, you know, keep an eye on them. Um, we have contacts and clubs who kind of recommend players. Um, one thing we kind of ask as well from our partner clubs um, and the directors there is to be a scout for us because, you know, we have clubs that are in different parts of the state. You know, like I said, we have one partner club who's three, four hours away, one hour and a half north. So when they're playing games in, in the, of the opposition and they see a player and they like them, you know, they can report them to us as well. So we have a huge kind of scouting network where we try and invite players in. Um, and then we have you know, applications and coaches input um, to kind of join the academy. Brilliant. So, yeah, we touched on scouting. We touched on scouting a little bit. And I know you mentioned you're involved in scouting. How, um, how do you go about kind of scouting? Is it just going out to tournaments, going to sessions, you and players within the state? Or what do you kind of look for when you're scouting players as well? We will go to tournaments. We will go to weekly games. So, for example, I oversee U8 to U11. So I'll go to all the Seattle United games those age groups so I can watch the teams, watch the coaches, but also watch the opposition. So we do a lot of games. Um, we do partner club training. So we'll go to our partner clubs as well. Um, and we'll train some teams for them, maybe some age groups that we're looking at. Um, a couple of the academy coaches, myself as well, coach at the OPD teams. So we can look at the players at a broad area. So we, we try to get out as much as we can to see players you know obviously we're always going to be limited there's always going to be places we can't go we rely on video but we try and get out as much as we can to main events main games so we can be seen um and then when we look when we're there what we're looking for is a, a really good question um i just did a podcast with my club um it's called the jimmy and kyle show and we did one on player development and the head of player development for the Sanders academy Henry Brauner was on there as well. Um, that talks a little bit about it. But one of the things we touched on was when we're watching a game and we're watching a player um, for any age, we're looking at perception and action. So we're looking at how quickly a player sees things, how quickly a player makes a decision, you know, how they create the decision. And then the action is you know, how they perform a decision. So a prime example could be a player going to check their shoulder, receive the ball, and then playing a split pass. If the player perceives the action first, and we see them getting to an area where they receive, they open up, and then they follow the action, you know, that's something we're looking for. If a player receives the ball, um, head down, receives, touch, then looks up, then plays the pass, maybe it's a bit slower, that's the action first instead of um, the first one. So that's what we kind of look for. Um, in terms of kind of the level of understanding. We don't 
expect them to be perfect. So, you know, looking at a younger player, their perception might be quite high. So maybe their action is too slow because, or not at that level yet in terms of technique, physical attributes, but the perception's there. Um, we also have, we look at kind of positions and kind of player behaviors. So what traits each position has, what traits does a player have? We might see a player on the field. They might be scoring loads of goals. You know, why are they scoring those goals? Is it because they're physically um, better or ahead of everyone? So they're quicker to the ball. Is it because they're very good technically? Is it because they are clever? You know, are they getting in the right positions? Are their timings of movement and arrivals really good, you know, ahead of everyone else? So we might look at them and think, you know, this player's, you know, not getting, um, sorry, he's getting lots of goals, but, you know, he's the smallest player, or he's not the biggest, but he's got good movement. We might look at their size, you know, they might be up quite tall, they might be strong, they might be good in the air. Maybe does that match other positions on the field? So, yeah, and kind of overall looking at the game, we look at the perception and action, kind of how they see the game and how they execute decisions, kind of behavior traits you know, how they train, how they're playing, the maturity, and then profiles of the player and profiles of positions to see where they would fit in. For the younger ages at U9, um, especially at U11 to U14, it's more about the perception and the traits and the more position. Uh, when they go full-time at U15, that's when the academy coaches will start putting the position more into it. Right. Is there kind of a Seattle Sounders player profile, kind of what they're expecting to kind of, I guess, almost receive coming into the academy, if you understand what I mean. Yes, we have player profiles on each position. Um, and then we have kind of key performance indicators um, and average stats and expectancies um, for the player and the team. So, for example... We might have, if you're a holding midfielder, the distance they're expected to cover, how many passes they're expected to make, the direction those passes are in, um, interception tackles, you know, some things are going to be traits, you know, are they clever, can they intercept, some of them are going to be statistics. Um, so yeah, we have those profiles um, more for the full-time teams and the older teams, but when they're in the academy, they will play their game and then they will get their statistics back. Um, and then they will be compared to um, a first-team player's role, position, and expectancy. Great. So when we're looking at players, you know, at the younger ages, you know, we're looking at, like I said, the perception, their traits, their behaviours, um, and then when they start joining the teams, we're looking at those traits and positions and where they feel, and then once they're in the team, they're trying to match data of our first team or average players or average position so for example we might use Aguero as a forward or you know maybe a Virgil van Dijk as a centre-back so yeah. we would say these are these are Virgil stats Virgil van Dijk from Liverpool here is um, Aguero's stats for centre-back Sounders and then here's your stats here's how they line up and this is what you're easily actually are expecting so that's uh, one way they try to to manage the player's performance but also helps them scouting and identifying players brilliant so to take a step back, how how much emphasis do you put on kind of developing, not necessarily individual, but kind of their getting used to their body, psychomotor skills, ABCs, 
things like that. When we're at Seattle United, especially, is it all about developing the individual? Um, you know, especially in those eight to eleven, kind of nine to fourteen-year-old age groups, because we're trying to develop the individual in a team surrounding. Um, because at the end of the day, like we said, the team is not going to go to the founders. Um, we want the team to do well, but you need eleven individuals on the team for that to happen. Um, but we, with our methodology, we do incorporate um, certain physical movements. Um, we are more on the ball side of it. So, for example, our warm-ups um, of the young raiders are a lot technical. Um, we call it 500 touches. So we try to incorporate 500 touches. It can be for dribbling, passing, movements, games. But we're trying to get those 500 touches in the first 15 minutes. During these sessions, we'll incorporate you know, they might have to use tennis balls or they might have to use size one balls. Um, you know, we might add in certain zones when you're in the zone. Now you have to do basketball movements or, you know, running back movements for the ball. So working on speed. So we do cover it. Um, you know, we do want to improve the individual. We highly push kind of multi-sports, especially in the younger ages. We want players to do other sports. We want them to try and play for other teams. Um, we want them to experience that kind of surrounding and different environments. I personally ask players and that to try and commit to seasons. Um, some might disagree, but I think, you know, if you're going to play basketball, then you play basketball in the fall and you play soccer in the spring. I think when you're trying to, I think if you can work both and they work different nights and in different games, it's perfect. But I think if you've got kids who have, a game at nine and a game at 11 and they're rushing across. I think if you have games where they have to pick, you know, I'm personally not a huge fan of that. So I don't think it works on other aspects such as, you know, working for the team, teammates, you know, representing your club. I think it puts a bit of strain on parents as well to be rushing players around and trying to manage it. Um, but yeah, so long answer, but we do cover those individual movements and the motor skills, not as heavily as maybe people would want to do. But I think, you know, if we encourage multi-sports, they'll pick it up, you know, in different areas. So, and we want to focus on soccer. I used to think we had to cover motorsports. I used to be really big on fundamentals. I used to be really big on doing invasion games with different types of balls and stuff like that. But then I'm also kind of wary that if you're spending time doing that, then you're not spending time with the ball or with your actual training plan. Um, so like I said, if players are doing other sports and that, then it gives an all-round athlete. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you touched on the multi-sport athlete because, um, I mean, down here we have, so you, you're basically signing up for a year. I'm not sure what you have, whether it's seasonal, but down here it's pretty much you sign up for a year. Fall's kind of soccer. Spring is uh, mainly baseball, really your basketball and that's where we struggle to get numbers at practice things like that so I'm wondering to you um, is it kind of like an annual sign up or is it seasonal uh, we're pretty much call it full time you know our yeah. season tryouts in May see training starts in May we do June till August summer tournament travel tournament September through till March is league and then State Cup is March, April, sometimes May with the finals and things. Um, so it's pretty year round. Um, again, I think it's similar to a lot of places. You know, in the winter, basketball is huge. The weather's not very good. Lots of gymnasiums, people rent them out. 
and the cross is huge in the summer, especially in certain parts of Washington State, like everywhere. Um, so yeah, you know, we have those kind of not battles, but balances of, you know, especially the older teams, they will do, you know, if they're high school, they'll do their soccer, but when it gets to the spring, you know, they're going to do track or other sports for their school. Um, so again, we have that and sometimes it may affect numbers, sometimes it doesn't. We do kind of say, hey, we want you to do these sports to make sure they don't clash with us or, you know, try and balance them. Again, I would then say, if you can't balance them, you need to pick one and then trade. But yeah, I think that's something everywhere. But again, I think it might be a negative thing that you might have be short on numbers one week, but then there's positives to that. You can play more games with other teams. You can join in with age groups. You can move players around. You can do training sessions even with two to three kids so they get more individual time. And the other kids are doing other multi-sports and other things as well. So I think with everything, there has to be a balance um, and there has to be a good reason, but there's a positive in it as well. So yeah, lots of sports yeah. going on like everywhere. Yeah, no, certainly I agree with you on that. Um, so just to kind of finish off, how... I know you mentioned we were talking about kind of life skills within a, the content of a curriculum. And I remember a couple of days ago we were talking about it. And how, how important do you feel that is kind of the unrelated soccer stuff to a player's development, like them doing these life skills, if you could give us an example, and how would you feel when, how important that is? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, I think it's something different. You know, we're trying to encourage... Like I said, in our younger ages, especially, we're trying to encourage the individual. We're trying to develop the individual, and that doesn't just mean on the field. So, yeah, in our kind of younger curriculum, um, in our plan periodization time, sorry, we'll have each week, there will be something, a life skill they have to do at home. Um, it can be something simple from making the bed, um, you know, doing the dishes, and then they kind of get bigger, and then they start to take ownership you need to pick a life skill this week um so yeah i think how many times people ask you to players they have to pick up cones at the end of the session i think you can make things like that you know cones are equipment we have to taste them power them up make sure we have everything accountable i think you can teach life skills quite simple um quite easy but yeah i think players come to practice you know right now is a perfect example of we can't see people on the field, but kids want to see us. Kids want to see their coach. They want to be on Zoom. They want to see videos. They want to interact. And I think that's a big thing that we people can take away from this. Um, you know, I'm doing I'm doing classroom sessions at the moment, but I'm not doing kind of anything soccer-wise or team-wise. We're doing quizzes. We're doing guess who's because that's what kids want. I think we can forget that when we're on the field. You know, especially if you're coaching two to three teams, and you have sessions and you're rolling through these kids. Sometimes those kids just want to be there for fun and they want to be there for the, the team environment. So I think it's really big that you can try and put something like that in, some kind of life skill or physical skill. I think right now is really important if you can push that. I always ask my kids, are they, you know, looking after their siblings or they're doing their chores because they're sat at home, you know, 22 hours of the day, which they're not used to. Um, I saw something the other day online. It was, I want to say Barnsley or something like that, Burton, and they released um, a four-corner life skill um, picture. Oh, well, the Oxford one. Live. Yeah, yeah. What was it? Yeah, I think it was the Oxford one. Yeah, I saw that too. And it was 
know, can you go to the kitchen and make an egg? Can you make a salad? Can you clean this? Can you do that? Um, you know, things, little things. Can you follow a recipe to make cookies or things like that? It was, it was a lot. It was treated like the four corner model, sort of technically technical, physical, psychosocial, however you list them. And they had things like that uh, to do for life skills. So yeah, it's a long answer, but I think it's hugely important. I don't think it's a lot to ask, you know, just at the end of each session, hey, can you guys do this this week? Track it in your homework sheet, track it in your evaluation, put it in your plan. Um, and then right now, you know, what can we do to reach kids to improve their life skills as well? So, I mean, at the end of the day, these 10 kids you coach and they aren't all getting into that academy, are they? They're not going to be a pro. So life skills you come know, first in a way. Everyone says it, but, you know, everyone knows the dropout rate. You know, players get to 14, majority of the sport drops out. Yeah. You know, if you've got boys and girls at 12 years old, you know, we all want to compete, we all want to win, we want to do well, but for sometimes that could be the kids last season, you know, in the sport. So what can you do to make it memorable? And sometimes it's not just about playing. Um, it's something I don't do enough of. I am all about the game. I'm all about the training. I'm all about the competition and, you know, the planning. And I definitely need to spend a bit more time doing the life skills. Um, and that's why I'm not kind of doing any um, analysis or game stuff at the moment. We will, but, you know, we're just doing classroom sessions where we just have fun. It's good to just get get the team together and just speak to them individually and, and make things fun for them and, yeah, make that memory. Yeah, that's great. That's really cool. Um, so, Matt, if you want to just summarise kind of um, how – you kind of link the player to the professional game, really. Yeah, so kind of overall, some of it all is I work for Seattle United, for the U8 to U11s. I oversee the age group. Um, I oversee all the players. I provide a lot of content and resources with them. And the idea is to create a elite and competitive environment uh, to help prepare them for kind of professional or academy soccer. And then we provide a pathway, a direct pathway from U8 up to U12. And then from there, entry into our discovery program, which is the 12 to 14 teams at the academy. And then I'm involved with that discovery program. I coach those teams. Um, I do events with them and I scout for that age group as well, uh, which can be in Washington and it can be out of state as well. So my kind of overall role is to try and create that platform where players can be developed in a, in a competitive environment and a developmental environment, which will help prepare them um, for the academy. Brilliant. And if um, people want to contact you, Matt, how can how can you best be reached? Um, I have Twitter. I don't um, tweet much anymore. I think Twitter is a very competitive environment. I think you can be more stressed on Twitter than you can on a game day. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. So people can always tweet me or direct message me. Um, and I'm always happy to like give an email out there or thing. Uh, my Twitter is um, at Matt Brewer Coach. Um, so yeah, I'm always happy to do calls or emails or kind of share stuff out. Um, that's the best. Or you Perfect. can... You can also reach my good friend Alistair Feezy, who did this podcast, and he can pass it on as well. <laughs> Former coach with me as well, I forgot to mention that. Um, Former so coach. Matt, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, coming on, I appreciate it a lot.
Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. I look forward to hearing the rest of the podcast. Stay safe. Cheers. Take care. That was Matt Brewer on creating a pathway for the individual in Seattle. I hope you enjoyed the really insightful information from Matt and his time in Seattle. Don't forget to hit subscribe, comment and share the show. If you want to follow me and find out more about Through the Thirds podcast, follow AF Coach Soccer on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook where I'll be sharing more podcasts and sessions. Thank you very much.